You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. Alright boys and girls, here we go with events. Couple weeks left to get in the August 13th through the 15th seminar in Wichita Falls with a few spots left. After that, October 15th through the 17th and then December 10th through the 12th to round out 2021. For training camps coming up, we have a couple three-lift camps on the list. That's the squat, press, and deadlift. We're doing two of those in London, England on September 5th and then one on September 12th. And then Baltimore 5x3 Training is hosting a three-lift camp on November 7th. We also have a self-sufficient lifter camp coming up on September 11th in Wichita Falls covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. One spot lift for the deadlift and power clean camp in Moodis, Connecticut at Anino Strength on July 31st. And then we have a couple squat and deadlift camps on the list, August 21st in Fort Worth, Texas, and then August 29th in Austin at Starting Strength Austin. September 12th will be the 10th annual Charm City Strong Woman event. That is a charity event raising money for the Almond House, which is a home away from home for folks undergoing cancer treatment. 5x3 Training is hosting that in Baltimore. Starting Strength Gyms continue to open new locations with more on the list. To find a gym near you or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And who knows, you might get to interact with Ray Gillenwater. Ray Gillenwater recently tried to tell me what the actual translation of his name is. Something to do with chairs or a wheelchair or a sofa. I don't know. I really wasn't paying attention. But anyways, if you have any questions about anything else that I've mentioned, Head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. <clears throat> we call it radio because, uh, you, you know, why do we call it radio? It's video. Uh, I guess because most of the most of the viewership, quote unquote, is audio. Right? No, is that not why? No. Why A long time ago, radio? we decided radio based on your history with radio we just thought it sounded cooler well it does sound cool because yeah. the options were starting I strength i have to agree with that podcast starting strength starting TV, podcast the starting strength program the ripito show <laughs> that one isn't bad the ripito show is pretty the good. most stupid thing i've ever heard oh. it's rhymes man it's, it's i think it's good the ripito show ripito show with mark ripito with mark ripito yeah starring mark ripito yeah, there you go. executive producer Mark <laughs> Host. Mark, Mark Ripito. Over and over Writer. again. Writer. Mark Ripito. Writer. <laughs> Director. <Mark laughs> well, anyway, it's Friday. I've got to mention the fact that it's Friday. Fraudy. It's fraudy because that's the way I talk. Did you see uh, that Rebecca Black remix they did with oh, Mark? Yeah. God damn it. I didn't see that. Oh, it's good. Yeah, Pete, you, so Pete you know, sent you that video. It's, nobody ever sends me anything. Yeah, Pete sent it to you. That silly ass music video with your. What was with, I doing? You were. They cut in you saying Friday every time she says Friday. Yeah. 
Friday. Yeah. D. I guess the Friday. Friday. D is the is the questionable pronunciation. Is that what the deal is? You think According to the haters, that's, that's what all yeah. of this vitriol is uh-huh. about. Is because I don't say Friday. It's Friday. Welcome to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday. Should we call um, the uh, Tabasco people? Call Avery Island. And see, see, uh, see. Ask, ask the Avery Island people how they <laughs> how they pronounce <laughs> the, the last day the last day of the work week. <laughs> And we'll just go with that. We'll run with what they run with what they say. <laughs> too bad All right, we, so too uh, bad Webster's doesn't have a customer service. Yeah. Oh man, they get inundated all the time. Yeah, they'd be twenty-four-seven oh, yeah. on the phone, thirty people in line mm-hmm. asking about how to pronounce Friday. Five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh shit! So, <clears throat> with that having been said, it's now time for comments from, from the heaters. Boy, this is a this is a great badge it's a good of comments. This is really good. Uh, this is in response to what to eat in major shitty cities. Uh, shitties. When <laughs> shit hits the fan. Uh, you guys expect people to listen to this garbage? This channel really took a dive post-COVID. The world took a dive post-COVID, buddy. Goddamn I think comments from the haters certainly <laughs> took a dive post code. I think we're thriving, man. Yeah. I'm, house arrest skills, that was genius. Who came up with that idea? Yeah. House arrest skills? Yeah, you remember our videos on house arrest skills? How to oh, 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 us under house yeah. arrest mm-hmm. because of. Yeah. Right. All right. <clears throat> okay. Uh, here it is some. Fucking idiot. Starting strength coaches are so strong and stable, but have to constantly lean on stuff when talking. What? This is in response to Fix Your Deadlift Start with Andrew Lewis. Was Andrew leaning on something in, the, in that video? Must have been. Was he Haters. leaning on the guy that he was trying to correct? Haters are never wrong. That's true. There's your... Uh, there's your uh, general rule. That's the prime directive. <laughs> Haters are never wrong. Prime directive. The prime directive. Haters <laughs> are never wrong. And there's a flurry of activity with respect to quit putting your plates on the bar the wrong way. All right. How many video? How many views have you said that here? As of about ten minutes ago, uh, one million forty-nine thousand. One million forty-nine thousand views. Yeah. Ahead of and, the, and the these next guys don't like the. They generally don't like it. They yeah. don't like it. Well. I mean, it does have more thumbs up. Than I was about to ask down. what the ratio was. Yeah. Here, let's look. Yeah, let's find out. We've got to see what the. What the ratio of likes to dislikes. Overwhelming majority of likes, though, 
It's just that those people don't ever say anything. People don't like it. What, what are they going to write into comments from the haters for? Because they're not haters. That's right. That's exactly right. We've got. They don't. They don't post. There's damn normal and well-adjusted people don't post don't on, comment YouTube on YouTube comments. There's over three thousand comments on this thing. Wow. Twenty-four thousand wow. thumbs up. One point five thousand thumbs down. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, I think we think we win. All right, but here's an example <laughs> of the people that don't like us. And I, I'm going to ask you guys for an estimate of the IQ of of this batch of comments. Who, what is their IQ when we get through reading these comments? And you just kind of just sit there and let it bake. Okay. While I'm reading these things to you, and you tell me what you think is going on, all right? Uh, you can really hear his frustration in the way he says, thumbs, LOL, very bitter. I haven't seen those type of weights since the 2000s. <laughs> LMAO. I thought he was going to stroke out when he had to compute four plus four totaling eight fingers. Truth be told, I was rooting for him like an overzealous parent at a spelling bee. Dude nailed it. Oh, there's more. We're not through. No, there's more. We're not through. This channel sucks. <laughs> this guy looks like he gets mad if the ketchup bottle is on the wrong side of the fridge. <laughs> now that's kind of might be right about that. That's that's kind of all right. That's kind of funny, yeah. you know. That's one oh five. Yeah. Yeah. It's about your average here. physician IQ. <laughs> Let me see here. Oh, this this man makes passive aggressive a lifestyle choice. That's, That's a good, good one. That's a good one. Do you think? I, I think it's that. funny. That might have been rusty. Probably was. All right. <clears throat> so what? What do you we'll take a shot? We're looking for average here. Average IQ of these people making these comments. Eighty-nine. Eighty-nine. The average IQ of I'd a, go with 89, 90, 91, somewhere uh, in there. The average IQ of a retarded person is what, 51 to 70, so anywhere within Can there. Can we say retarded still? I mean, I was using the medical term. Oh. I'm not saying they're retarded like they're bad at sports. Oh, got it. Well, I prefer the old <laughs> terms. Idiot, imbecile, and moron. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Classics. Those are classic, very descriptive terms yep. for these people. Yep. Yeah. All right. Here is uh, a comment from training the genetically gifted versus the average person. It's a clip from Starting Strength Radio. Rip has a half-inch vertical hop. <laughs> <laughs> Notice that he used hop. That's yeah. That's up there, man. That's yeah. good. Uh, yeah. It's pretty good. And yeah, that's. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, it's good enough to get a genuine laugh out of me. <clears throat> it's kind of mildly amusing. Uh, <laughs> right. Here is uh, a comment about the refusal to wear a belt. Starting strength radio previews. This is one of the clips we put up. Wear a belt for every lift and end up looking like Mark Riptoe mm. at his age with a pregnant woman's gut because he never leaned how to brace without the need of his belt. World-class Luddite. Was belt capitalized? Yes. Ah, 72. You heard that, didn't you? 72. Yeah. Yeah, I think. So not quite mentally retarded. No, I think you're. If you're operating at seventy-two, under eighty would be seriously deficient. Right? If you're operating at seventy-two, you're going to need some government help. <laughs> okay. And that's what we like to call comments, comments. From, from the heaters. Man, that plate video keeps bringing them out. Well, I tell you, the and plate the trap video. Bar, trap bar, too. It's a solid. The trap bar is always good for comments from the haters. Yeah. What can we? What kind of videos can we make Vegan. that will guarantee? Vegan, vegan videos. Make another video about Something how about vegans or vegans, vegans are, are, are uh, uh, you know, impaired. <laughs> Is that the right term? Have a it's a nice way to say it. Have an impairment. It's a nice way to say it. The problem is you only get yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. You know, the problem with, with the, the vegan stuff is you only get one specific type of person. You can imagine the person on the other end typing that, right? Right. Where if you this this uh, plate thing and this trap bar thing, it's it seems like you're getting you're getting everyone. Everyone's pissed at you. I think the uh, I think the vegans are the. Delta variant yep. of vegetarians. That's right. Right? That's right. The, yep. The Delta variant. Yep. No way to test Now we have to listen to this Delta variant shit, you know, because it works. I mean, you know, whatever makes you afraid, yep. that's what we'll I'm use. I'm terrified. I am too. I've been wearing my mask I'm so, every day. I'm so scared. Look how scared I am. It's, it's fear. I see it. See the fear in my eyes? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to let fear control me. Not me, no. I've mastered my fear of the Delta variant. It's very brave. Courageous, in fact. Courageous. Well, somebody has to be. Yeah. You know, someone has to be. So, uh, <clears throat> somebody came in the gym the other day. This is what I thought we'd talk about. Somebody came in the gym the other day. And, uh, you know, they'd said uh, that they had read the books. 
and watched all of her videos and uh, wanted to get a form check or something. And, you know, Carmen was there and she helped him. It was this, this might have been yesterday. It was yesterday, yeah. Yesterday. Guy wanted the deadlift. Is he from oh. out of town or local? Out guy? of town. It was, was it the guy with his kid? I don't know. I was not there. Uh, you weren't there? Oh. Well, actually, I was there. Yeah, I thought you were. But I was, uh, I was taking a nap because of the poor quality with which I have been sleeping recently. And uh, she was very sweet and kind. It didn't wake me up for this bullshit. <laughs> so the guy wants to go in the back and he wants to deadlift with the bumper plates. And it turns out that the reason he wants to deadlift with the bumper plates is so he can bounce the deadlift off the floor. Now, I think we've been very clear in the books about why the deadlift is called the dead lift. Am I pronouncing that in a way that Californians can understand it? I think dead, so. Dead lift. It'd be better if there was no space between dead and lift. But Dead lift. It's often spelled that way, but the word "dead" also See, they, scares them. A well, in, in California, they would call it "deads" because they shorten everything. Deads. 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 Everything's a everything's an abbreviation mm -hmm. in Cali. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Deads. DLs. DLs. Is DLs a common thing in the CrossFit world? When you're doing Oli. Oli. <laughs> oh, we know all about Oli. Oli. Oli lifters. This is Oli day. You'll do Oli today. We don't do deads on Oli Day. No, because deads and Oli are two completely different things. Right. 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 In fact, if you're a Oli lifter, I guess that'd more properly be pronounced an Oli lifter, uh, you don't do deadlifts because deadlifts are slow and Oli is fast. And slow and fast are mutually exclusive concepts especially to Oli coaches who don't seem to understand the fact that 700 is slow because it's heavy and 400 is faster because it's lighter right um it's very nuanced i'm i'm always disappointed when when people i otherwise respect don't seem to understand why you can pull 400 faster off the floor than you can pull 700 and that if you've got your 700 up to 750 400 might come off the floor faster how do you not understand this well don't you remember it, it's don't you remember being in the middle of a clean and jerk and forgetting that you were clean and jerking and accidentally deadlifting. <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> While you walk up, third attempt at the meet, third attempt clean and jerk, you got cocky today, you call for a PR, right? And you walk up to the bar because you've been deadlifting. Yep. Right? You walk up to the bar at the Olympic meet, having just done five attempts, three snatches and two clean jerks and you go up to the bar and you take an alternate grip and you pull deadlift deadlifted off the floor and you think 
I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I saw. I think Chase. I pulled it slow because I forgot which that I was doing at, which lift. It's very easy to do. All this stuff is very oh. complicated. Oh, this is Olympic weightlifting is the most complicated, uh, most technically demanding uh, human physical activity in existence. I witnessed it this weekend. Yes. Is this that passive aggressive right. thing you were talking about <laughs> earlier? You know, I really that, that passive aggressive thing is so California that I don't understand. It. Pass ag is what they call Pass it. Ag. Pass, Pass ag. ag. Pass ag. He's I so just made Pass that up, ag. but I'm sure it's right. No, I'm somebody Pass said ag. it. You know. Yeah. You know somebody said it. Yeah. It's so Pass ag. At any rate. Anyway. At any rate. <clears throat> this prompted me to think that perhaps there was a lot of fundamental misunderstanding of the lifts that we teach, the reason we teach them this way, and uh, the, um, the benefits of doing them the way we have analyze them and teach them now going back to a comment that we we made previously on this podcast uh power lifters almost universally do not understand what we're doing here power lifters do not understand the fact that we're not power lifters power lifters are easily fooled because of the fact that we teach the squat the bench press and the deadlift as three of the five or six lifts that we incorporate into our programming, that we must be power lifters too. And they just fail to comprehend that we're not power lifters. We don't care about power lifters. You know, power lifters are I you know I I don't know I've been to I've been a power lifter, competed for ten years, announced meets for ten years, judged, participated at every level of the sport, and it's just you know, powerlifting now. It's not like it was back thirty years ago. Powerlifting now is. Uh, Oh, I guess the only way to describe it is as a trailer park activity. I'm surprised that that most more meets are not held in trailer parks to uh, minimize the travel burden on uh, on the lifters. You know, they hold them at hotels and stuff like that, and you go out in the parking lot, and all the lifters. They've got their suits, suit straps down and their knee wraps off and they're smoking between <laughs> attempts and shit. Just a, you know, it's an amazing bunch of people. But uh, my biggest problem with them is their, is their failure to understand that what we are doing is not powerlifting and that the fact that we use the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift does not suddenly give them because those are competitive lifts in powerlifting the uh, imprimatur to decide 
how I'm sorry for using that word. You just they, confused all the power. They won't leaders. understand it. Yep. The authority to <laughs> to determine how we should teach the lives. All right. So and th- this is all prompted by this this guy walking in wanting to bounce his deadlifts off the floor at Wichita Falls Athletic Club the other day. And um I thought, how on earth can there remain at this point in time this much fundamental misunderstanding about what the hell it is we're trying to do here? So I thought we'd go through the lifts and kind of boil them down to the essence of what the hell we're trying to do with these lifts. Why do we squat? Why press? Why bench press? Why deadlift? Why power clean? Why power snatch? You know, and for every one of those questions, there is a perfectly reasonable, logical answer that we've actually thought about quite a bit. All right? Now, if I leave anything out, you guys feel free to, you know, chime in here. But let's, I guess we should start with the squat. Since it's first in the book, it's the primary strength training movement that everyone should be using why is the squat so damn valuable well the squat is is valuable for a number of very important reasons it really works more muscle mass over a longer range of motion than any of the other exercises now you could say that the deadlift works more muscle mass because you're involving the upper body in the movement pattern because of the fact you have to hold on to the bar and that is true but the range of motion of a deadlift is quite attenuated. Oh, there's another fucking word. And and uh, and I and and the squat is just. But there's several other things about the squat too, besides the longer range of motion for the for the hips, the loaded back, the knees, all that muscle mass is. Uh, uh, is loaded over a long range of motion. One of the one of the important things about the squat, and I think this is sometimes overlooked, is the fact that once you take the bar out of the rack and step back with it and set up to do your set, you are in a way committed to the completion of at least one of the reps, you know, uh, in a way that the deadlift does not force you to do. You can always drop a deadlift. If you want to get out from under a deadlift, you just let go of the thing and put it, you know, it falls to the platform. You get kicked out of the meat, but hey, you were scared. So you need to leave anyway, right? So the squat, you're trapped under the bar. There is a... There is probably a physiological component to the fact that you are trapped under the bar that produces a a systemic response to that exercise that's not produced by anything else. You know, you can say the same thing about the bench, but the bench uses a third of the muscle mass. 
you take a squat out of the, out of the rack, you step back with it, you carry it down and up, five reps, last reps real hard, you finish it. You've tapped into places in your brain and in your central nervous system that you don't tap into otherwise. And I think that's sometimes overlooked on the squat. Now, you know, the depth of the squat's terribly important because of the amount of muscle mass that it involves. Uh, the deeper you go within certain uh, limits, the more muscle mass is involved in it. Eight inches above parallel squat does not use as much muscle mass even over that shorter range of motion as a below parallel rebounded squat because there are things that happen with the hamstrings and the glutes and especially the adductors that take place right below parallel to help you rebound up out of the bottom that above parallel squats do not do not evoke all right i don't care about a thousand pound squat done eight inches above parallel. I don't care about it. I don't care about a thousand pounds. It's 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 an arbitrary number. If you had to cut it eight inches off above parallel to get to it, well, why don't you just do eleven hundred at ten inches above parallel? Or why don't you do fifteen hundred? Walked out, you know, with I mean, you stood up with and you're goddamn mono lift just barely unlock your knees and stand back up with it and set it back down in the hooks and have 1500 be a squat and all your buddies will slap you on the back and say beautiful depth beautiful depth with that power lifting voice they have macho man randy savage macho man randy savage boy Critical for the powerlifting coach to learn that voice. You, you, how do you coach powerlifting unless you're doing your Macho Man Randy Savage impersonation? Those of you who do not know who Macho Man Randy Savage is, get learned. I mean, Wikipedia is your friend. Although I don't know, there'll be a recording on Wikipedia. Oh, you can find one somewhere. YouTube. YouTube. Surely YouTube's Macho got Man's best monologues. <laughs> It's good. <laughs> There's well, such he, a thing. Oh, it's great. Did oh, he God. sell jerky at one point? Was oh, yeah, snap it to a Slim Jim. Yeah, Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Slim Jim. Yeah. Slap it to a Slim Jim. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I remember Everybody that. Everybody knows that. I remember that. Yeah, he uh, uh, he was quite a character. I loved him when I was little. Is he still alive? Oh, no, he? he had a heart attack while driving his Jeep. What? He had a heart attack while driving his Jeep and rolled it. While driving his Jeep and rolled it? Is that how you want to go, Rusty? Oh, yeah. You've got a Jeep and shit. He's got a Jeep. A ma an automatic Jeep. Yeah, a Jeep. Is it a two-wheel drive? I also haven't done... A two-wheel drive Jeep with an automatic transmission. It's four-wheel drive. I also haven't done mountains of cocaine my whole life. We're making fun of you, right now, now, Rusty. Now, you don't know that Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage did mountains of cocaine. Yeah, they did. You don't know All that. All of them. Don't say nasty shit about Macho Man Randy Savage. All of them. <laughs> So I, you know, I'm, I'm. How long has it been since since he died? Oh, it's got to be like seven or eight years. Oh, damn, it's been a while. Long. But the powerlifting coaches are still. Oh yeah, that's that's how his memory lives on. 
Well, I guess it's worth keeping powerlifting going. Then, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, the squat. Back to the squat. Squat's a very important exercise. You put the bar on your back. You walk out from it. Walk out with it out of the rack. Do your set. Put it back up. You're going to be scared. Fine. That's one of the wonderful things about training the squat is you master your brain. You make your body do things with your brain that your body would rather not do. And this is a skill that goes oh, so far in life. Most of that skill comes from the squat. Squat's very, very important. We squat below parallel. We do depth to a certain point. We have a certain stance that we use that involves uh, the biomechanics of the way the hips and, and knees interact in the, in the execution of the movement pattern. We, uh, we have a back angle that is far more horizontal than most people are comfortable with because most people have a picture in their mind of a front squat. Wouldn't you say that the most common mistake that we have to deal with at the seminar when we teach people how to squat is to abandon the idea that your back should be vertical during a squat? Yeah. That's the number one problem. That's the one that some people solve, and and we sit there and beat you about the neck and shoulders with this idea that you have to go here. You don't squat like this. You don't squat like this. You squat like this. You bend over. The reason you do that is so that you can use more muscle mass more effectively you want the strongest muscles in the body helping you do the squat and the way you get them to help you is you bend over okay that's what you do and then you initiate the squat out of the bottom of the range of motion by using your hips by shoving your ass up first because this recruits more muscle mass than trying to lift your chest up out of the bottom. And this is why you can back squat, quote unquote, more than you can front squat. Right? Front squat's what? 70% of your squat? Maybe, if you've been training the front squat. Might be 70% of your squat. Right? And the reason is because the front squat leaves a bunch of muscle mass out. So the further away from a front squat we can make the squat look, the more weight you're going to lift. And that requires that you get the idea into your head that you have to bend over and use your posterior chain, use your hamstrings, your glutes, your adductors, your back muscles to squat. And, you know, of course, the primary objection from the geniuses at organizations like NASM and NSCA is that while you'll shear your back, back will go like that. It happens all the time. Happens every day. Every seminar, it's at, at least Wichita one Falls person Athletic is paralyzed. Club, every seminar, 
One person paralyzed. At least one person is paralyzed. You know, ambulance. But they neurosurgery. You know, sign the non-disclosure waiver so they can't sue or talk about. So they and the only reason we haven't been sued is because of yeah the fact that we've got that piece of paper. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it fascinates me that. well, I, I, what fascinates me is that people feel so free to express an opinion upon about what we do, having no idea exactly what that is. That's one. That's one of the more fascinating things about about this about our situation and critics and everybody. People that think I'm fat. Well, the, the, have, have never actually been around me and don't know people that think that we shear people's spines people argue people argue uh confidently with a complete lack of knowledge and understanding of the basic principles and the uh, the basic uh the basic components of the method right it's like they're all from brooklyn it's all absolute confidence absolutely no accurate information a completely surface understanding, but yet a very confident opinion of oh, what's yeah. going on. Oh, and it's just what they do. Nobody squats like Ripito, you know, all this bullshit. But never an, never an explanation of why your analysis of why the low bar squat is the thing that makes you stronger. No explanation I, of that. I've never seen that analyzed. No explana- No No argument about why weight on the bar is fucking important you know right. from all the volume people all the you know all those motherfuckers all the rpe of 7.8794 right so people. it's all it's all just this surface bullshit there's no there's no argument that goes down to your analysis which is really what this is this is an this is a uh, this is a an integration starting strength is an integration of a bunch of first principles and yeah. and then applied to how to get strong right Right. So if you're going to argue with something um, other than to call you fat. Right. If you're going to argue about starting strength, it's it's got to it's got to be about the analysis, not about the not about what we teach and how we teach it. Fat may be in the eye of the beholder. That's right. But physics is not. That's right. In the eye of the beholder. Yep. So you have we can uh, we can change the way we teach things and still be doing starting strength, because, again, starting strength is not. A teaching method right I mean we teach the squat a certain way but that's just what it looks like now after having done the seminar for however long 10 15, years 15 years or 15 whatever. years first seminar was in 06 so we've been doing this 15 years yeah and since we're of you know slightly above average intelligence we've learned things we've learned things over 15 years we don't do the same seminar now that we did in 2008 2012 even 2017 yep. things change we learn we modify we incorporate we throw shit out that doesn't work we incorporate things that do work all of our stuff is taught a little bit differently now than it was even three or four years ago that's why starting strength coaches are required to come to a seminar once every two years to see the the current version of this material but every change that's been made arguably i mean it has to be this way every change that's been made gets us closer to actually what the model is right 
it's, every it's, change that's made hones the edge of the model and makes it a better product every one of the changes we have not changed our fundamental approach to any of these lifts we have we have changed the details of the approach to the lifts in terms of teaching and certainly in terms of cueing and correction and, and evaluation and these sorts of coaching things but uh we're the the material that we're teaching right now is basically the same as it was in 2012 and some of it a lot maybe a lot of it comes from how people over time receive the information right because 10 years ago yeah. it was crossfitters who uh need to hear different things right than, than 55 year old guys who are in the gym for the first time ever Right. So some of that stuff is just the it, yeah. just the, the knees out too much is sure. a perfect example of this. Back, uh, you know, long, long time ago when we started teaching, the squat people, the, the biggest problem we would encounter in the seminar was the, the uh, knee caving in thing, the knees going varus. No, that's valgus. Knees, the knees going valgus. That was our primary problem in, uh, in, in teaching the squat. So we would emphasize very, very heavily, keep the knees out, shove the knees out, 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 out. And by 2015, what we were seeing was probably a third of the people in the room had exaggerated that cue to the point where their knees were outside the line of their feet and, and the but the purpose of the knees out and every other aspect of the relationship between the hips and the knees was to keep everything moving in a nice straight line right. so that you don't hurt your client's knees so the the purpose hasn't changed but now we don't emphasize knees out in the teaching progression we we talk about the straight line in the teaching progression and then if the person's knees are coming or caving in to valgus then we will correct that error instead of emphasizing it up front yep. okay so that's a fundamental a difference in the approach to the teaching, but the model is the same, and we've, we're getting closer to the model every time we make a change like this. And uh, and I think that uh, uh, if if you're one of these people that went through the the course back in 2010 and you haven't uh, seen the modern version of it, well, you you're you're you need to catch up. Because things have changed quite a bit in terms of our ability to communicate the correct way to do this to you and therefore to your clients. Okay. Uh, anything else about the squat you want to? If you take about? any any parameter, exercise science parameter, bro science parameter, anything that people consider important for strength training, load. 
load, time under tension, all the shit that people talk about, all of that is maximized with the squat. Right? Any other any other lift is going to have trade-offs. You know, the deadlift is much heavier, but you have you know, again, to use like the bro science stuff, you have less time under tension, you have less range of motion, you have all of these different parameters are are less in a deadlift. So, I mean, you're going to talk about the deadlift, we'll go into that, right. but but in terms of the squat, it just makes sense that that's the thing that drives the program, it's the thing that that squirts the right hormones. It's the thing that, right. that, that makes everything uh, everything work. And you can, people can try to get stronger with just deadlifting. Like uh, I remember Pavel had a program that was press and deadlift only. Right. Try getting stronger on that and see what happens. Well, you know, it works for about six weeks, just like all these other bullshit programs. And even it, if you do get stronger, you, you're not going to get any bigger. No. It's, it's not stressful enough. The squat is, is just provides Squat's this the massive key. amount of stress. Squat's the most stressful thing you can do. It's the it's the foundation movement. Right. It's concentric. It's eccentric, then concentric. There's a rebound. There's a stretch reflex. Yep. There's more motor unit recruitment inherent in the movement pattern. And uh, our understanding of this, um, I, I don't think there's any organization on earth that has devoted more ink yeah to this more thought to this yep. something i've have. been telling the uh the, the developing coaches is what we're doing here is 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 moving doing natural human movement and making yourself heavier just making yourself heavier that's essentially what it is right when you yes. take a barbell you have the perfect implement to do that you know it's just it's just just big enough that you can hold on to it uh and that it can be loaded real heavy Right. Uh, without disrupting your normal kind of movement. Right. Uh, and, and if you're if you're talking about a normal natural human movement, uh, the squat is probably the most complete thing. Right. Here is the primary difference between what we do and pretty much what everybody else do does. We don't care about muscle groups. We could give a fuck about your quads about your hamstrings, about your glutes, your adductors. Now, we understand their role in the movement pattern better than anybody else does. I remember a professor at uh, Midwestern University who actually told me one time there was absolutely no difference between a leg press and a squat. PhD. Okay. We don't care about muscle groups. We care about movement patterns. And what we do is load normal human movement patterns. And then what, whatever happens to the muscle groups happens to the muscle groups. And what happens to them is they get bigger and stronger. Okay? But we thought about the movement pattern, and we thought about how to load it the most effective way in order to produce a strength adaptation by using the greatest amount of muscle mass possible over the longest effective range of motion. So this is this is completely different than you working your quads when you squat. It's not that's of no interest. 
It's just not of any interest. So this is, if, if you want to find a true uh, delineation between starting strength and all these other systems, it is the fact that we're not bodybuilders. We don't care about your quads. We care about how strong your squat is over the longest effective range of motion using the greatest amount of muscle mass because we're trying to get you strong. You, not just your quads, but you strong. So uh, as far as the, uh, since we started off on powerlifting, why do we bench press? I'm not really sure. It's in the book, so I coach you it. You just do it. You just well, told because, me to coach it, so I Because do it. pushing shit away from you is a is sometimes necessary. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess so. Get away from me, right? Get social away from distance. me. Now, social distancing. Yeah, that gets you right? about halfway there, right? Yeah, if the other person is pushing against you, too. Yeah. If the other person is pushing against you at the same time you're pushing against them, then you end up with the appropriate social distance. Yep. Because social distancing prevents <laughs> the Delta variant. And if you do it really hard to each That's other. the science. <laughs> That's the science. <laughs> so, yeah, we bench press. Yeah, we and, and the bench is the only exercise we do where you're not really standing on the ground. So the balance component of most of the body is removed from the bench press, but there's no other exercise that makes your upper body as strong as the bench press, so we use it. Now, if you were going to eliminate an exercise, and I don't recommend that you do this, because why, right? If you're going to eliminate an exercise on the basis of the fact that it's less functional, well, probably the bench press would be the one you'd drop. Okay, but that... but. That's not what we're advocating. We're advocating you get your bench press strong because a strong upper body is important as a strong lower body. And the bench press allows you to use a lot of weight and get your upper body strong. Now, why is it in powerlifting? Well, because the guys that invented powerlifting back in the 60s, back in the middle 60s, the first powerlifting meets, uh, were... Um, essentially, they had descended from odd lift meets. Now, a long, long time ago, what happened was uh, a meet director would have a meet, and he would decide what lifts were going to be contested in the meet. And the squat, the strict curl, and the overhead press might have been the three lifts. Might have been the deadlift, the strict curl, which was real popular back then, <laughs> and uh, and a front squat. You know, there were several lifts in the meet. Director sent out the flyers. They mailed them out. You got your entry form in the mail. You want to go to the meet, and you liked the lifts that were being contested that day. You sent him your $15 entry fee, and... Um, you showed up at the meet and did the best you could on those three lifts. Powerlifting kind of congealed around the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift, which were probably the three most popular events 
at the time in uh, in this in this kind of competitive group of people. This all started in California. God help us, <laughs> and it uh, it developed from there and it spread all over the country. And finally, powerlifting was organized. Uh, I believe the first formal organization was through the AAU, the Amateur Athletic Union. And then the USPF, United States Powerlifting Federation, came along shortly after that. This was in the 60s? This is in the 60s and early 70s. So powerlifting, you know, started off as a... Powerlifting really started off as a, as a, a competitive expression of, of broader physical culture. And... Uh, which included bodybuilding. Most everybody back then was concerned with physique at some level or another. And, uh, and so physique components came into it, and the bench press was popular because big pecs became popular. Now, there was a time back in the 50s when big pecs were not popular. John Grimmick, for example, was not. Uh, he, was, he was regarded as the most perfect physique in the world back in the 50s. 50s and early 60s. John Grimmick was a York guy. And being a York guy, he did the Olympic lifts. But his primary interest was in physique competition. And uh, those guys didn't really match a lot. That's not what, that's not what they did. They didn't, they didn't devote a lot of time to the bench. They pressed and cleaned and snatched and did all the stuff the Olympic lifters did. He probably did some bench presses, but he didn't, he didn't have what you would call uh, overly developed pecs. I think he uh, looks way better than modern day he, bodybuilders. He, he was a he was a handsome guy. I actually met him one time. Star and I went over to his house and sat and talked with him for two or three hours one afternoon. A prince of a gentleman, and, and you know he was in his eighties at the time. But but back in the uh, back in the fifties and sixties when he was the the best physique in the world regarded as the best physique in the world his pecs were not huge and and overdeveloped and then doug hepburn came along doug hepburn was a canadian lifter that specialized at the bench first 500 pound bencher doug hepburn and uh and it kind of took off from there a lot of guys got real real strong it was in a big man by the name of Jim Williams back in the 70s that benched 700 in a T-shirt. And, um, you know, there have been guys that have benched a hell of a bunch of weight. Taking 700 out of a rack and holding it over your throat and benching it with the shitty equipment they had back then, he... That took some gigantic cantaloupe-sized balls, mm -hmm. you know, and and Jim Williams was a he was a fabulous lifter, and there were a bunch of those guys back then. But prior to that, the bench press was was not really uh, as big a deal as it is now, you know, in gyms all over the world right now, and it's been this way for thirty years. Somebody wants to know how strong you are; they want to know how much you bench. What they ought to ask you is, what's your deadlift? 
but they they want to know how much you bench. Uh, but the bench is a valuable exercise, and that's why we put it into the into the program. We do it a little bit differently than everybody else does. We we do it in such a way that the forearms are vertical when the bar is in contact with the chest at the bottom of the range motion of the exercise, and that is to produce the greatest range of motion around the shoulder joint and thus work the greatest amount of muscle mass around the shoulder joint. Whereas a a competitive bencher is going to use the widest permissible grip to shorten the range of motion. I know you've all seen the, the video of the lightweight female competitor setting the world record, taking the bar out of the rack and basically shrugging it over the range of motion of about an inch due to a very flexible back, short arms, that sort of thing. It's not really the same thing as a as what Jim Williams did when he benched 700, is it? whole different thing. So uh, we teach the bench in a way that a power lifter would not approach it because once again, we're not power lifters. We're not trying to see how much we can bench. We're trying to see how strong we can get using the bench. Same with the squat. We're not trying to see how much uh, depth we can cut off of the squat to lift more weight. That's fine if you're in the APF, and depth is not judged. But we want you to go below parallel because we're using the squat for a different purpose than they are. Most amount of weight over the longest effective range of motion. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because that's what strength training is. That's the point of our version of strength training. Yeah. Um, now, the overhead press, the press, we call it, is a terribly important movement because that's another natural human movement, shoving something up over your head. That's what your arms and shoulders are for. And all we're doing is weighting it. Now, there are ways to lift more weight than just doing a strict no-body-movement press. We don't use the push press because it's easy to use a whole lot of weight if you get the thing started up off your shoulders with a knee and hip rebound in a vertical direction. We allow you to use the hips in a horizontal manner to generate a stretch reflex along the anterior chain and thus involve more muscle mass and allow you to use more weight over your head. But it's not the same as a push press at all. And the technical details of that are available to you in the book. Uh, But the overhead, the, the press, the press as we call it, is a fundamental movement. Keeps your shoulders healthy. The most amazing thing about the press is that the profession of physical therapy, almost to a man, completely misunderstands the anatomy of a correct press overhead. They don't, they, they, the first thing you hear is impingement. 
while you'll impinge your shoulders. It's anatomically impossible to impinge your shoulders in a correctly performed press. Now, if you do it wrong, that's not our fault because we show you how to do it right. If you do it like we show you, you can't impinge your shoulders. It's all explained in detail in the book. It's explained nowhere else but in the blue book, in starting strength, basic barbell training. You can't impinge your shoulders, and the only way you can work all of the shoulder girdle, both anterior and posterior shoulder, is by pressing a barbell over your head. And that's why we use it, because that's the best way to get the whole thing strong. And in terms of the the muscle groups involved in it, the traps, the, the rotator cuff muscles, the medial, posterior, anterior delts, upper pecs, all of that stuff is involved in the movement of the bar. And by the time you're getting up into heavy weights, there's just not a better way to train your abs than a heavy press overhead because the abs stabilize the spine from the anterior. They resist the layback. And if you've got a big press, you've got big abs. Just all there is to it. But again, we're not as concerned about that as we are the fact that the a big press overhead is demonstrates a strong man's ability. Now, long, long time ago, back in the 60s, back when York was the primary source for all this stuff, back in the 60s, uh, a body weight press was considered baseline. Now it's unusual. It's an unusual thing if you could if you could press your body weight. Back then, it was just that's just was the the least acceptable performance that you would show your buddies in the gym. And uh, you know there were ex just extremely strong men. Ken Patera, who's known now as a professional wrestler. Uh, Starr has always referred to Patera as the strongest strength athlete the United States ever produced. He was pressing. He had, he had a, I've got a picture somewhere in the gym right now of a 518 push press. Yeah, it's back in the Olympic room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 518 push press. Standing with 518 pounds in his hand. And putting it up over his head. Right? Now that's uh, that's pretty fucking strong. Right? Look up the, the video of Sergey Redding on YouTube. 502. And that is that's not a push press, that's an Olympic press. There was no there was no knee kick. A vertical knee kick in that movement, and that thing flies up too. And that's that didn't look like a limit. No, that's that's one of the most fascinating videos that we show in our in our seminar. We primarily show that video to to show you what is what is 
what has been done and what is capable of being done because you don't think that anymore. 502 overhead. And it just, it, it, but the, really, one of the more remarkable things about that video is the clean. Mm-hmm. Just matter of fact, 502. Cleans it with his press grip because if you're impressive, that's what you, what you have to do. He hits the bottom. No, no double bounce. Just comes right back up out of the bottom of the damn thing and jams it up over his head. 502. This man was 5'6", 365. Well, I guess that means he's fat, doesn't it? I guess that means that Sergey Redding was fat to these little estrogen supplementing twerps. Twinks. Little twinkers that comment on the haters. <laughs> Five six three sixty five. He uh, he looked quite a bit like he was built quite a bit like Shane Hammond, just a massive, massive, powerful human being, and uh, amazingly strong overhead. Well, now we're we're not suggesting that you need to be doing five oh two to be considered a human male because there wouldn't be any males. There's not a person on the planet right now who can do that. The, uh, especially at that body weight. <clears throat> but the the press is an extremely important movement pattern, and that's why it's in the. That's why it's in the in the program. You know, comment on the press. Did I leave anything out about the press? Um. Well, just another point on the on the sh- physical therapy. Have you have you ever heard of? I've heard this a couple times, but a, a a therapist will tell, or an orthopedic surgeon even will tell a client to not overhead press, but that bench press is okay. Yeah, just yeah. They, go, they, just a complete misunderstanding of what the they, fuck is. They going seem on. to think they understand this, and they don't understand it. They don't train themselves. And they're not familiar with the technique involved in a correct overhead press. They don't know how the anatomy functions in a correct overhead press. They don't understand that the scapula retracts and adducts. It's pretty weird. How do you not understand this? I mean, you would would have to intentionally... Uh, I mean, it'd be pretty hard to do it. Wrong. I don't know. I don't know how you do it you, wrong. The way you do it wrong is to do it the way the kettlebell guys teach it: to pack the shoulder. Right? Pack the shoulder. Yeah. Which is complete horseshit. the shoulder. And but, but that's something that's not easy to do. No. I mean, well, not with the bar straight over sure. your head. Right. Now, if you leave it out in front of you, which is mechanically stupid, because you you create by doing that a moment arm between the bar and the shoulder. That's got to be just front raised up, you yep. know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a complete misunderstanding of the of the mechanical model of all of the lifts. Right. And it's one of these first cause things that we get into. Yep. That nobody else even seems to see as important. Yep. So uh, you've got a uh, yeah, you've got an entire. Uh, allied health profession 
that has no idea how the shoulder operates. It's bizarre to me. Right. It's bizarre to me. And every time somebody goes in and fucks up a rotator cuff and has to have surgery, they get into this idiot-ass system where they rehab with these bands and external rotation. Yeah. You know where the the rotator cuff externally rotates the shoulder? In the physical therapist's office. And that's the only place it does. That's true. That never happens. Yeah. It doesn't happen. What they tell, uh, they told Bree it would be a year before she got back to where she, and this, all she had was a, 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 a cuff repair, right? It wasn't even anything. I mean, it was just a cuff repair. It told her she wouldn't be, be able to do what she's doing pre-surgery until a year later. Yeah. You know, and it Hell, took, when and I, well, if you, if you're pessimistic, you're never wrong. Right. Yeah. When, right. When I, You'll never walk again. I'm going shoulder surgery. Well, You'll never walk again. For shoulder surgery. Oh, look, she's walking. When, when I uh, rehab Nick uh, Hilner, uh, he goes into his <laughs> surgeon's like, I don't know what Rusty's doing, but it's he's, you're doing awesome. And then the, and the then funny he thing him, is, he asked him what he what, what, what he was doing. And he goes, Well, he's got me overhead pressing. Okay, how much? Um, we worked up. We're at forty five pound bar now. Whoa. Oh, who do they? Even though he just told oh, him, God. he just Look told him that. why you'll impinge your shoulder. <laughs> he just told him you are doing better than anybody else that we see in our physical therapy office. And then when he gets told what's being done, oh no, you shouldn't do anything more than fifteen pounds over your head. Ever, Ever. arbitrary, it's arbitrary number fifteen up, pounds. Yeah. Don't rush things. <laughs> Don't rush things. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you've been pressing three days a week. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's fascinating amazing, the uh, lack of preparation these people are are given. Yeah, and just anecdotally, you know, you got torn yeah. up shoulders. There's uh, the the press is the only thing for me, for example, that keeps my shoulders not hurting. Yeah. Stop pressing, and then the shoulder starts, starts hurting. You know? Well, and everybody that's had shoulder injuries reports the same thing. If you're pressing correctly, your shoulder works okay. Yep. If you're not pressing correctly, you know, you're going to have shoulder problems. Right. Now, if you've got a slap tear, you've got a labrum tear in your cartilage, that's going to need to be fixed. Of course. Yeah, but nothing we're saying here is an argument for not getting shit fixed. For not getting shit fixed. <laughs> right. What we're saying here is that there's an argument for rehabbing it in a logical, intelligent way yeah. instead of the way you're going to hear from your outpatient physical therapist. It's funny. And, and you know, the guys who know uh, what they're doing, you know, the, the therapists that know what they're doing, it's funny because they, your video is shared around by – therapists who actually give a shit and, and actually want to learn something right yeah. but you're it's it's funny you got this this guy in texas this this geology major whose video is being passed around by these physical therapists on how to actually rehab people it's mm -hmm. doctors um, in physical therapy but this is like a you know it's something something like one of my favorite topics right now is the is, is specialization it fucks people up yes you know specialization is is what gets people killed in the hospital. Yeah. Everybody's you know, a specialist If now. you've got seven specialists involved in a case, Not you're a probably going to kill. Happening. Yeah. You're probably going to kill the guy. Right. Because nobody knows what anybody else is doing. Yep. 
They yeah. can't see the bigger picture. Even the even the slightly bigger picture. They I mean, don't, we're not talking about. They don't want to believe there's a bigger picture because if they think there's a bigger picture, then that means that other professionals involved in this case are as important as they are. Yeah. Or even non. And that's kind of. Yeah. Or even non-professional. Or even non-professional. There's an argument, like to, to bring bring it around to the hospital thing. There's an argument for having a guy who gets assigned to you that doesn't know shit about anything other right. than like looking at what everybody's doing and and whether or not it's a good idea. Whether it makes any logical makes any biological logical sense. sense. Right. Somebody with a with a with a biology with a master's a, degree in, in physiology. physiology yeah. But without any specialized medical training, that guy needs to be assigned to walk your case through the procedure that ought to be a specialty yeah. and that and guess what how does that person get trained through an apprenticeship yes yes he gets his basic schooling at the college or university but then he learns the application of all of that stuff through an apprenticeship right yeah. and he ends up being probably the most valuable person yep. to the patient as far as I know, that doesn't. I don't think it exists. I don't know that it. Yeah. I don't know that it doesn't exist, but it's surely somebody's thought of that. Sure. Yeah, but none of these doctors are going to look at this person and say, "Oh, we well, trust that's exactly right. That's it. That's yeah, exactly right. they're all you know. Everybody's you know we'll in the turf we war, and they're all you know to what you say, defending their own situation. Yeah. 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 So the only solution that's left is get fucking educated and make your own decisions. Yeah, it's kind of up to you. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're like a, you know, old guy that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, no. That's absolutely that's right. sick with preventable shit. Right. Chances are you're not in, ever going to be in a position to, 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 to do that. Right. To do that. That's, right. that's what this specialist should be. Yep. Or a patient advocate, I guess you could call yep. him that. And there may be patient advocates someplace, but I don't know if they've been. I don't know if the they idea they, they behind that is the same one. They don't work that way. Uh, I mean, that's like a social worker, right? Yeah, there's yeah. a patient advocate at United, and their job is to. So, how do you feel you were treated today? Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's kind of irrelevant yeah. bullshit. You know, it's just. I'm talking about a a, a science professional yeah, yeah. to manage your treatment. To manage your treatment. Yeah. Yeah, start to finish. I can give a whole bunch of personal examples of how I've performed in that function over the years. Well, yeah, you do that for people just as a dude at sitting at yeah. the gym. Right. With a geology degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with a geology degree. Fascinating. So, deadlift. All right. The reason we call it a deadlift is because of the dead stop involved in each one of the reps. You pull it from a dead stop. Because if you bounce the deadlifts, then the first at least couple, maybe three inches of the pull off the floor is rebound from the previous rep. It's work you're not doing. Work being done by the rubber. Okay. Yeah, this is, you know, I thought we'd made that clear. I guess we haven't. We made a lot of things clear that, that we haven't, haven't made clear that, that aren't people clear. People are still confused about. Yeah. 
So when you when you pull each one of the reps off the floor, if you bounce the reps off the floor, yeah, it's easier. You can do more weight that way. That's not the point. The point is to work the most amount of muscle mass over the longest range of motion. And if you cut three inches off the range of the motion by bouncing the bar off the bumper plates, well, you've undone part of the work. You stop, you reset, and you pull another rep. Now, what does the reset do? Well, the reset allows you time to make sure that your back is in the correct anatomical position to most effectively transfer the force generated by the hips and knees to the bar to pull it off the floor. Okay? That's what, that's another function of the dead stop between reps. You reset the back and pull. Reset the back and pull. Now, I thought we'd been clear about this. Maybe that's just over some people's heads because of prior conditioning or something. But um, the deadlift is, you know, a damned useful exercise. There are people like Pavel, example, who have who have advocated for the deadlift over the squat. And I can see that to a certain extent. Um, the deadlift is a hell of a lot easier to coach than the squat, and there that's quite a bit of it. I mean, it takes us, what, five minutes to show somebody how to do a correct deadlift? Mm-hmm. You know, it takes us two hours to show somebody how to do a correct squat. Now, we've all heard the old saw that why there are as many ways to squat as there are lifters. Well, uh, okay. If, If you think it's impossible to do a biomechanical analysis of the squat and and try to elicit adherence to a set of criteria and what are those criteria most muscle mass longest effective range of motion greatest amount of weight lifted sticking with the previous two conditions you know i i i think that there's really not as many ways to squat as there are. Now, there's as many ways to fuck it up as there are lifters. Certainly. But just because you're, you know, squatting with the bar up high on your traps, uh, six inches above parallel, that doesn't mean that's a way to squat. That's a way to do a half squat. All right? You, you, there have to be... There has to be an analysis involved here, okay? And this is what we have tried for 15 years, 16 years now, to bring to the table is an analysis. So why do we want to do it? There's a best way to do it. There is a best way to do it. What is that best way? And how do you teach it? And how do you best get people to do it that way? And that's, that's what we're doing. All right, the deadlift 
Of the lifts we have discussed today, the deadlift is by far the easiest one to do. It is, it's not necessary to do the deadlift incorrectly because it's not complicated. Uh, for example, you can put your knees in a squat pretty much anywhere you want them to go because there's no constraint on the knee position. The deadlift constrains the knee position. The bar, when it's heavy enough, is going to come off the floor in a pretty much straight line over the middle of the foot. Now, this keeps the knees from going forward, doesn't it? Because the bar is there. It restricts the position. It restricts how badly you can screw the bar pattern, the bar path up because there's not, that degree of freedom has been removed. All right, the the deadlift. If you just set it up correctly and learn how to arch your lower back into lumbar extension, and then you push the bar away from the floor with your feet, and then you stand all the way up, having drugged the bar up your shins and your thighs, and then lifted your chest at the top. You've done a correct deadlift. It's not complicated. The, the squat, on the other hand, is if you're going to do it according to the criteria, muscle mass, range of motion, weight lifted, it's complicated, and it's the hardest lift to learn to coach. Okay, In my opinion, the, the, the squat is harder to coach than the power clean. Power clean is another important exercise in this program. Now, the power clean uh, is... Uh, See, our thinking has changed on the power clean over the years by virtue of the fact that we've just learned more about the physiology of, of power. Uh, we used to explain the power clean as a way to improve power. But the best way to improve power is to improve strength. And we talked about this in a recent podcast, what power is. The best way to improve power is to improve force production. All right? And the genetic components of the expression of power are not very trainable at all. So why then do we do the power clean? Well, we do the power clean to keep your expression of the aspect of strength known as power commensurate with your increasing levels of strength. In other words, if your deadlift goes from 315 to 505, your power clean ought to go from 155 to 315 during that same period of time. And it won't do that unless you do the power clean. Now, does it mean you're more explosive? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean that when you do explode, you can hit somebody harder, which is a function of athletics. Most athletics have a power component. Tennis has a power component, right? Tennis players don't understand that, but that's not their fault. Their coaches don't understand it. And, uh, oh, I think probably most of the misunderstanding that comes uh, – hand-in-hand hand with strength and conditioning in 2021 is a function of the fact that strength and conditioning coaches 
uh, think they are prepared when they're not. And that's not the athlete's fault. The athlete pays the price in lost potential. That's not the athlete's fault. It's the coach's fault. Okay. So the power clean, power snatch to a lesser extent. Power snatch is, can't be done with heavy weight. So for our purposes, power snatch is of, of, of lower importance than the power clean. Power clean's got a fairly long range of motion, but it can be used with much heavier weights than the power snatch. Now, the power snatch is being a longer range of motion is a little bit more technical lift because it is more adversely affected by an incorrect bar path than a power clean is because of the length of the range of motion, length of the bar path. More bad mechanical things can enter into the execution of a, of a power snatch than can enter into the execution of a power clean. So uh, I think that we normally approach the power snatch as an exercise we teach to a more advanced novice. It's, it's very seldom taught to kids just starting off. Uh, an advanced, advanced novice needs to know how to power snatch. Certainly intermediate lifters need to know how to power snatch. Because they're very useful for light day pulls. And you're going to have light day pulls if you're an intermediate. And power snatches are real good for that. That plus the fact they're fun. People like to do power snatches because they're just they're they feel good when you do one correctly. Just snap the thing into position over your head, and it it's, takes less than a second, and you feel like a Billy Badass because you have slammed that thing into position overhead. The wonderful exercise. You need to learn how to do it. But but I think that uh, those six exercises cover the, the basics of what we do in starting strength. And these are some of the reasons we do these exercises. Now, chins are, are properly considered an assistance exercise. All right? And we introduce chins fairly early on because chins are good chins give you a chance to work your arms and everybody wants to work their arms right chins are a body weight exercise as you are gaining weight as you should be if you're underweight then the work you're doing on the chin goes up by virtue of the fact that you are gaining weight so you go from a set of 10 at a body weight of 175 to a set of 10 at a body weight of two and a quarter, your chins have gotten stronger. I'm not a big fan of, of weighting the chins. I don't think it's necessary. You know, I don't see that it helps that much. I think if you've taken your sets of 10 chin up 50 pounds by virtue of a 50 pound increase in body weight, then I think you have gotten out of the chins what you need to. Uh, now, if you're starting off in in the program and you're a, an overweight novice, 
you're probably not going to be able to do a chin. And in these circumstances, a lat machine is actually not a bad idea. Not all machines are stupid ideas. We use lat machines in these in these cases. We use lat machines for older females who lack the strength to perform that pulling down motion, which is an important normal movement pattern for humans. Uh, we use it for overweight males. And there's a perfectly good role for a lat machine. There's a perfectly good role for a leg press machine if your client base includes detrained people who cannot do a squat. Leg press, in my opinion, is the best way to get them to a squat. And then once they're squatting, you don't ever use it again. So it, it depends on your depends on your business. My gym is big enough to where a leg press machine doesn't take up a lot of room, and we use it occasionally. And it's very productive, productive if it's used correctly. So, uh, you know, not to, not to say that there are no roles for machines. There's probably not a role for a leg curl machine in a strength training program. I don't know what it would be. Don't see how hamstrings need to be worked in isolation since they don't function in isolation. I don't see why quads need to be worked in isolation since they don't function in isolation. A, a pec deck machine is certainly the silliest thing that's ever been devised. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of these machines are just nonsense. But, uh, you know, there are roles for for these types of pieces of equipment in, in certain situations. So, so before everybody gets a pass on thinks they get a pass on the power clean because they'll take your words and say oh, I don't need to power clean, you know. Um, well, just, some people don't need to power clean. That, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Let's, but let's, let, let's clarify who who let's, that is. Let's clarify who that so is. So if so, the the power clean, if if there's going to be value in loading the things that require coordination, power. Um, AKA explosiveness, uh, timing, and to load those effectively, you can't do it any way other than with the power clean. Right. You get all those things built into the power clean. So if right. your life and activities and sport and whatever else you do, those things are of value, then you should power clean. Yes. If you're a 21 year old athlete, you should power clean. If you're a 35 year old climber, you should power clean. That's right. That's right. If you are a 55 year old dental floss salesman who wants to get strong you probably don't need to power clean you don't need to but if you want to it's but if you great, want to it doesn't, it's a great it, way it to do a hurt light anything pull. that's right it's a great way to do a light pull if you start having injuries stop stop power cleaning right yep because as you get older connective tissue changes composition and you're more likely to hurt yourself doing explosive movements but if you're not older and you're younger, you need to power clean. And if you don't power clean, when you should power clean, that means you're just lazy. You don't want to learn it because you think it's complicated to learn. It's not complicated to learn. If you, if you learn it the way we teach it in the book, you can learn how to power clean. 
you can learn how to power clean. Just keep your arms straight through the top of the pull, and you can power clean. If you're an athlete and you can't learn how to power clean in about five minutes, then really you're not an athlete. Yep. You don't, if you lack the athletic ability to learn how to correctly power clean in about five minutes, you know, drop your scholarship and major in accounting or something. You know, get out of the way. But the power clean's not that complicated. It's just not that complicated. And you, you can feel it when it's done right. Once you feel it done right correctly, you can keep doing it that way. And we have simplified the process of learning how to do the power clean for you in the book and in numerous videos that are available on this website. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, at the, at the seminars, if we've got, and we often have 72, 75, eight, even 80-year-old people at the seminars. You get 80-year-old people at the seminars. We don't make them power clean, you know, depending on his injury history. We might let him do the bar, do three or four sets, just learn learn how to do it, say he learned how to do it, But because I, I don't want to deprive a person who's paid to be at the seminar to learn how to power clean from the experience of learning how to power clean. But I, it's not something I'm going to recommend for an older trainee. Uh you know what would what would a light day exercise be if you're not going to power clean? Well, I'll tell you, it's not going to be the barbell row because the barbell row is explosive too. The barbell row off the floor is an explosive movement, and don't just because it's a shorter range of motion than the power clean, don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not explosive like a power clean because it is it's just not as explosive over as long a range of motion but a correctly performed barbell row is an explosive movement and it is not a substitute for a power clean and we hear this all the time why don't i just do barbell rows for instead of power cleans well go ahead i don't care it's an inferior movement. You know, there's not really a good way to judge it. It's a shorter range of motion. It's inferior to the power clean in every way. Now, that doesn't mean it's not useful to some people. It is useful to some people. But it is not a substitute for a power clean. And it shouldn't be thought of that way. So, anybody got anything they want to add? We've no, you 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 mentioned. Let me just say this again because you mentioned it at the beginning about the squat and being committed to the squat. And uh, you know, once you once you start to, your descent on a squat, uh, you have a decision to make: Are you going to dump the bar? Are you going to set it on the pins? Right. Or are you just going to stand back up? So you've already committed to it. And uh, and in my opinion, with cl dealing with clients, normal clients, normal people, the the deadlift is going to offer the biggest mental challenge in terms of committing yourself to actually lifting the thing. Like you could make a big show out of setting up a big weight on the floor and then walking up to it, taking a big breath, tugging on it for a second and a half and putting it back down. Quitting. And then everybody can look at that and say, yep, yeah, gave it his best shot, you know? 
when uh, in fact when in fact you you, you may not have you may right? not have. so that that those last two reps of the set of five that heavy heavy single um is a is in some ways harder than than the uh, than the squat well the squat once you take it out of the rack the decision's been made yeah, I mean you can always you're trapped under it. the bar. Yeah, you can always re-rack. Yeah, you it, can always re-rack. But once it. you start going down, yeah. But once you start trapped. going down, the decision's been made. I mean, you've right? got to now. You could dump it like a fucking CrossFitter. Yep. You know, and they actually teach that. Sure. They want you to squat with bumper plates so you can dump it. Right. If you have given yourself permission to dump a squat, my friend, you will never get stronger. That's right. Yep. Because if you don't understand that you have to generate the force production in order to get the thing back up, even when you'd rather not in excess of what's comfortable or seems like a good idea yes. under the bar, then you're not going to get strong. Yeah. Yep. You're not going to get strong. It won't happen, but you've got to, you've got to get all that done in a deadlift without the, the mental danger of having to dump the bar or, or, you know, set it on the pins or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've got to, you've got to fucking man up and, and keep pulling on the bar, even though it feels like it's not moving. So, if you it's the first thing, the, it's the first thing that people give up on. Is my point. You know, <clears throat> everybody's got artificially low deadlifts because they they give up on it too yeah. soon. They they say uh, this they is won't too heavy. grind on a deadlift. Yeah, they say this is too heavy. I need to switch to triples, or I need to do some other exercise. I need to even when it's moving up. Even when it's moving up. Even when it's moving up, and you set it down. Yep. There it is. There it is right there. I'm sorry, but that's that's what happened. If your deadlift isn't 50 to 100 pounds ahead of your squat, you're, you're who we're talking about. I mean, right. run it up. There's no reason you should be squatting and deadlifting the same amount. Unless you're built oddly. Yeah, but that's 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 not, rare. That's I rare. mean, if you got short arms and little stubby Vienna sausage-looking fingers yep. and shit. And you, you, know, you know, you're benching fat more than, hands benching and can't more hold than on you to. squat. Right. <laughs> benching more than you deadlift. But that's but not the usual. That's situation. not normal. If you're of normal anthropod anthropometry, you can deadlift always. Deadlift more than you can squat, up until you get into suit and wraps powerlifting. Right. Yeah. Which so is not what we do. Yep. So make sure you're uh, checking your mental status and not uh, blaming recovery or whatever on your deadlift. Mm-hmm. Right. Anybody else? Ricky, you got anything? Got none. Brianna, she's, she's good. good. She's, she's good. good. Famous Brie words. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Well, all right. Let's wrap it then. Thanks for joining us this week. Starting Strength Radio. We'll we'll try to be as interesting next time. Although I doubt we can be. Bye. <laughs>